Okay, welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. As always, we are your hosts, Andy. I'll be covering Psy Force number five and... And I'm Steven with Night Mask number five. So our new universe was a self-contained universe and imprint from Marvel Comics started by Jim Shooter in 1986 with the launch of eight new ongoing titles to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary. Uh, it was intended to be more realistic without magic, aliens, or secret histories, and we uh, ourselves are two chemists and comic book readers who are reading through the new you two books a week in the order they were released, describing them and commenting as we go, and we'll also give the advertising copy for Marvel Age magazine or the bullpen checklist as we get it, because uh, that's what we had at the time. Uh, we also have a wonderful website, kickersinc.com, where you can go and check out our summer 2022 New Universe contest and maybe answer some questions. And even if you get them all wrong, you might still win some free New Universe comic books. It's a good deal. Dare you around. try the Super Sleuth Sweepstakes Summer Spectacular? Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So it's, it's worth looking at. All right. So this week I'll be covering Night Mask. Orphaned Keith Remsen is a counselor aided by his sister Teddy, who uses his newfound ability to enter people's dreams to help them recover from trauma and mental illness. This week, Night Mask number five. In the aftermath of his battle with Mistress Midnight and the Gnome, Keith Night Mask Remsen tries to bridge the gap between his sister and himself. But first, he'll have to take on the bizarre walker in the dimension of dreams without Teddy to serve as a psychic anchor. Oh, man, that sounds intense. Yeah. But that's it's... not the comic we're getting. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like 100% off. I mean, I think it is. Okay. I mean, uh, issue three was a fill in and this one is written by the same guy who did issue three. So I think we're holding the line a little bit here. Good point. But uh, this week in Cyforce, uh, Cyforce is our group <laughs> of teen your Cy the Korean dancing. Uh, <laughs> Cyforce is a this is a podcast that's audio only. I remind you, Stephen. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 oh crap uh cyforce is a group of teenage paranormal psychics on the run from a government that seeks to control them uh, they can meld their abilities into a powerful psionic being who they all hate called the cyhawk <laughs> uh, and this week in cyforce number five a rich and terminally ill man wants stacy the healer to keep him alive and he's willing to do anything to make sure she does uh, and that's actually pretty close that's pretty close, and um, we didn't mention it, but last last month's uh, like next issue also had um, they're they're facing the size stalker or something. Yes, and uh, that also it turns out both of those things were actually on on you know relevant. So that's true. I was completely skeptical and thinking we were going to get one or the other because uh, it sounded like two separate solicitations and they were but yeah we we in fact we'll have terminally ill old man and the size stalker that's right it's like having three comic books at once today it's 
It's a bonus for you, the listener. It's about three comic books worth of words. If you, you could <laughs> compare these to normal comics, or like or modern twenty twenty two kind of comics. Oh my! You are not kidding. <laughs> uh, shall I start with Nightmask? Absolutely. Awesome. So Nightmask number five, um, cover date March nineteen eighty seven. It hit the newsstands uh, November 25th, 1986. So um, just a couple days before Thanksgiving, I believe, that year. Um, the previous issue, as we discussed, had um, a fight between Keith, well, uh, Mistress Midnight, who was sent as an agent by the gnome, and his sister, Teddy. and that long running central conflict of the book will not be addressed again this month. Yeah, it's no Robo Gnome. We will bring you a, a story that um, is, as you said, by the same author as the fill in issue, but isn't, doesn't have as many hallmarks of fill in. So it is maybe um, meant to be you know, part of the. A little bit more of the ongoing story. Um, yeah, it yeah, fits it in, is. It fits in fine. Like it just seems like a normal issue. It just, it's just not. Why well, I think the the teaser said number five was Kingdom of the Gnome. And oh yeah, that absolutely. That. It's not Kingdom of the Gnome. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, but yeah the, it doesn't um, seem like something that was just kind of, you know, yeah. you could throw it in any time kind of issue. Yeah, that's the thing. It's got the supporting cast is back and several of the normal elements are, are in place. So um, let's see. As I say, it's uh, cover has um, Keith Nightmask Remsen in what's a pretty straightforward uh, adaptation of a uh, famous M.C. Escher print. Um, I think I looked it up. It's called Relativity. Yeah, that's the crazy stairs and strange three dimensions that all kind of connect but look bizarre. Yeah, it's very seen in Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> it's recognizable stuff, and uh, Keith is uh, holding some sort of a let's see, weapon pole pole arm, I guess. And there's a number of gnome looking things crawling out of the woodwork. Um, kind of yellow it's not very goblin thingies yeah it's just a good sort of dream image but not very specific for this uh, issue I would say uh, getting started in the splash page we have the title which is dream kill and the cast uh, creators again Kerry Bates as the writer Harvell Jones as the penciler I believe that's his first time Yep, and Tony Dizuniga, uh, the anchor who's been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, Jones does an issue of Starbrand later. I think he, those are his two new universe contributions. Okay. He's got a, a, a pretty reasonable style. It's pretty clear. The expressions are pretty uh, well done, I thought. So you can sort of generally follow. Um, what's going on and people's uh, feelings pretty clearly. Um, 
it starts off with a guy we've never seen before. A couple of guys, actually. One who's uh, screaming, no, not Janet, not Julie, uh, as he runs towards an exploding car. And there's a man behind him with a gun. I'm not sure what that's all about. And a dog on the ground. Um, There's some narrative boxes that's saying, Seven seconds, sometimes that's all the time required to make sure that one mistake, that one misstep, that thing that'll uh, forever color the remainder of a person's life. Peter Barron just lost the best part of his life. Color the remainder black. Black. (laughs) But yeah, there's a lot of countdowns in this. Yeah, it's, I guess that, uh, the the countdowns are a recurring motif. we back up a few, like a minute, I guess, and you have a limo going down a road um, and someone's uh, reading in the back uh, Robin Hood story to his daughter, apparently. Daddy. Um, and they Wonder pass- if that will become important later. They pass a dog that's just lying on the side and uh, the girl, apparently is saying look a puppy it's hurt real bad and the father's saying um i think it looks dead i'm sorry no no it's breathing i saw it we can't just leave it so he tells the driver and there's a couple of guys up front um can we stop here let's go check it out and the guy gets out along with one of the um people up front who seem to be like a bodyguard and they go uh, over to check on this dog. And the guy bends down. What do you know? Julie was right. This is still breathing. And he looks over back at the car and he sees a bomb that's connected to the bottom of it. Yeah. And in our narration boxes, we're starting to count. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Fine. So he run, starts running back to the car. Janet, get out. And the other guy, the guard is like, not another step. I can't let you. So he starts drawing a gun. He's going <laughs> to shoot the guy if he goes back to the car. I don't know what that plan was, but okay. Eight seconds. You've got the car has exploded um, already, as we saw on the previous page. And uh, even the bodyguard is shook up. Ah, Larson. Oh, man. So they are uh, the. Uh, guard and this guy peter baron and they're like wow if we hadn't stopped for that dog we we'd all be dead it'd be all of us and the guy is saying no i'm the one they were trying to get how could this be happening i'm just an accountant just an accountant an accountant (laughs) accountant a very obvious uh, glob of like plastic explosive looking stuff with two wires and an alarm clock stuck to it on the gas tank that they showed us an image of. Yeah, he it's it's hard to see a bomb underneath a car. So it's drawn to be like the most obvious thing possible, um, which is a bit whatever. Yeah, it's got that classic like round alarm clock. It doesn't have the two bells on the top, but it's pretty close. Yeah, it comes close to being that like like black sphere with the fuse. That's not quite that much. <laughs> the guy's carrying a money bag with a dollar sign on it. 
there's a sudden transition. And I got to say in this issue, they don't do like meanwhile or later or a lot of other sort of scene to scene transitions. They're just smash cut to a new scene. The, um, the scene is Keith Nightmask Remsen running through an airport. No, mom, dad. And we have again a, a countdown, seven, six, five. And he's like, if only there was another five seconds, maybe I could have done something, saved you all. But I didn't get there in time. Not in time. And he wakes <laughs> up screaming. I think he might have needed more seconds than that. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, he's a little hard on himself. We get a lot of discussion now with Teddy is worried about him and uh, Teddy talking to Lita. Good to see Lita back. Um, and she's say, Lita say, uh, saying that Keith, because he didn't die and didn't even get um, put in the wheelchair, he feels, you know, just pure guilt of survivors killed over the bombing that um, killed their parents and crippled her um, yeah this, this this felt a little off because she's talking to teddy who's in a wheelchair saying that she was the more fortunate one <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know lita's advice is maybe getting a little weaker as the series goes on I, you know, I don't know if, if there was ever, they held out any hope that Teddy would walk again, you know, with therapy. So it's never sort of suggested that I remember. So, yeah, that's true. Um, if, um, but yeah, it's, really no, you don't understand. He feels bad. <laughs> He's the real victim here. Not that their younger daughter of the exploded parents wouldn't feel just as bad. <sighs> so then we cut to uh, Lucian, Lucius, Lucian Ballad, the uh, psychiatrist that they work under, and he's telling um, him maybe he should take some time off, take a sabbatical. That he's pushing himself too hard, and he's racked with guilt and yeah, he's having these nightmares you need some time away from dream research and this institute <laughs> and as they're talking you see a, a tv playing the news in the background and it's actually the news about this explosion that we saw in the opening pages you see the uh, dead uh, daughter and wife of this guy and uh, his name and then a they even have a um, newspaper that has the same headline uh, on Ballard's desk that mob informant killed in blast, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of a cool artistic detail because they're not talking about it. You know, they're just talking about him taking a break, but they're just showing that in the background. Again, the new universe loves its televisions. To inform yeah, you get a lot of news from TV. Um, but I kind of like that. Yeah, it's a good uh, way of sort of tying the the two into each other before we they actually get into it. Um, so Keith is like, look, I'll work through this, but at my own speed in my own way. And I can't turn my back on people who might, I might have the power to help. So uh, I don't want to, you know, screw up Nightmass just because Keith Remsen has a few unresolved conflicts. 
And then he is like, not every problem can be solved as easily as a Rubik's cube pollution, which he, of course, had just solved the Rubik's cube. That is the ultimate cue to show us that he's smart. <sighs> yeah, okay. I solved one once, but it took me like pausing YouTube videos and about <laughs> an hour and a half. <laughs> it's one of these things I thought like it was well established at some point, you know, a few years later that it would, there was some trick to it. And the... yeah, there's absolutely an algorithm to do that works no matter what. It's just you have yeah. to memorize it. <laughs> we're um, we're off to um, a couple of gentlemen have arrived at the clinic and are now uh, asking Ballard's help, and um, they are yeah, cops because they both have mustaches <laughs> and in suits. Um, they're like Mr. Mason and Mr. Bartle are federal agents working for the Justice Department. Rebecca Chambers works. Hmm. Hmm. Irony. Um, and he, Ballard, has to introduce uh, Keith as a um, brilliant young uh, intern who often assists me with my work in dream research. Because obviously he can't tell everyone about Keith's power. So, fair enough. And so he's they're like, totally lying about what they're doing at this business, <laughs> I guess. It's yeah, the Ballad Dream Institute is about as legitimate as Steve um, Magna Conti's uh, <laughs> research. Um, oh, good old Steve. <laughs> but it made a buzzing sound. Those are Kickers Inc. references if you haven't followed the whole new you. Yeah. You're missing out, folks. Um, so, yeah, yeah they, the beat they scientist say, was great. They, they say they're. Um, they brought this Mr. Baron that you read, read about in the paper under an alias. And he's a man who served as head accountant for the mob who walked away and decided to turn state's evidence. That man ends up with the life expectancy of a house fly. A lot of encouraging <laughs> words from the FBI. There's really nothing we can do. He'll be dead any day now. <laughs> any day. <laughs> and then really they talk just... about how they he already got they tried to blow him up a second time <laughs> yeah he goes yeah the uh they killed one of their agents in that car and these guys didn't even stop there there was a second attempt they didn't even put in the papers and this must have been just like a day ago i mean because like if the car explosion was in the papers that would have been like two days ago i don't know yeah this is a, um, like a uh, bomb me once, shame on you, bomb me twice. We really should search for bombs better as the Justice Department. <laughs> witness protection services, not so good. <laughs> I, I didn't want to get into it yet, but I kind of wish like there was a bomb threat in the, the Institute. You know Ooh, what I mean? Yeah. That would like be everywhere we take this guy, there's a bomb. And like, okay, you're not going to try to do that. Um, yeah, they, they flash back to a bit where there's, um, they get a call warning them and they take a escape tunnel down below the house and then the house blows up and, uh, down below there, um, a brick fell on Peter Barron and knocked him out. Um, the two FBI guys got okay, out okay, but they say they got him right to emergency ward and uh, mild concussion. But it's been uh, 
five days, oh, five days later, they have, uh, he has not woken out of this coma and it seems to be self-induced. Interesting. So there was no uh, medical reason for him to be in a coma. And now it's getting to be time uh, to testify in front of the grand jury the day after tomorrow. And uh, if he doesn't, then three mobsters will walk free. And uh, you've got to wake him up without killing him, Doc. So Ballad is like, well, if there's one thing I've learned, it's one can never underestimate the influence of the brain over the body. Is Mr. Barron's Barron's mind has chosen to inhibit his return to consciousness. But why? Hmm. That's just me. That's he why. tries to solve every medical problem with dreams. Yeah. <laughs> he tries is to dream same... the cancer away. <laughs> <laughs> My guess is that the dream imagery of the cancer will be more important in the long run than the actual tumor you've been treating with radiation and chemicals but that's just me um so let's see so keith gets a talk from um, ballad and they have um, they start suiting up um keith's like let's go get uh, dinner first you know how i hate night masking on an empty stomach <laughs> i love that line <laughs> It's sort of suggestive of something that I don't really want to know. What do you mean? <laughs> I like that he's using night masking, night mask in the verb form. Yeah. I, you, yeah. It is a good uh, twist on the uh, classic terminology. Teddy is um, trying to get into the, um, the room where they're going to do the experiment. And uh, she argues with the FBI guys outside. Um, probably Teddy's the least likely person to threaten someone. So, you know, it's not really someone you need to brush off. But, um, but she uh, gets Dr. Ballard's okay and heads in. And the FBI these guys, guys feel so. These guys do have a proven track record of terrible security anyway. So. <laughs> I'm surprised they're not just like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> There's like some uh, pizza delivery guy with an obviously pony mustache. Hey, pizza for the uh, Mr. Baron. Hey, uh... Ticking oh, sounds yeah, sure. coming from underneath the chair. It's like, oh, I just have a really loud watch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, inside the uh, research room, we have the two beds with Keith and Peter Baron. Keith hooked up to wires and Peter hooked up to uh, like a gas mask that's helping him breathe or something, supposedly. Um, so they, they argue a bit that uh, Teddy thinks Keith has been pushing himself too hard and uh, she's worried about what he's seen inside this dream. Usually she's there all the time when he goes into dreams to act as a safety anchor. So Keith's doing it on his own this time. Is that more dangerous? We shall see. Keith just wakes up at that point and says, um, you know, just forget it. These guys, tell these guys they're on their own with Peter Barron. I'm off the case. Gets up and goes down the hall. 
I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Hmm. Well, all last issue, like she was annoyed that they were making decisions without her, right? And then first thing, it's like, oh yeah, maybe I won't take a break. I need to do this case, and then we, they don't tell her about it. Say, um, I mean, they're really not doing much to make her feel included at all. Um, so he he's outside walking around with Dr. Ballard later saying um, in his dream, uh, his wife and child didn't die and they're alive and well. And Baron himself is like a king. So he's pretty happy in his dream. And I would feel like an incredible jerk destroying it and bringing him back to the reality where he loses his wife and child. And he's just a mob informant. So he feels very um, conflicted and he doesn't really want to drag Peter out of this dream because he knows that how bad it is in in real life to confront the loss of people in your family. And um, so they they argue a little bit and uh, then Keith goes to talk to Teddy. Um, He's like, you were right, you know, me and my big mouth. I should have uh, just gone on vacation after all. And uh, she also tells him, you know, that he's, he should probably help Baron get out of his dream. And he'll you know, die soon if he doesn't. So, yeah, that's pretty much the thing, right? So, you know, somehow or another, Dr. Ballard's dream magic, he's figured out that the guy's going to die if. Uh, he doesn't get out of the coma, so. So he's got to wake up um, to testify against the mob bosses, and he also would die if he stays in much longer. So it's not like, yeah, too much of a conflict there. Every, all signs point to get the guy out of the dream. So he's still pretty upset, but he's, if Nightmask does what's expected of him, I'll still have to live with myself afterwards. So they hook him up again and um he's like let's just get this nightmare over with and uh, tells teddy not to bring him out no matter what happens and in he goes night mask goes there's a nice sort of um series of panels where sort of um, tripping him into night mask Keith has the amazing ability to fall asleep in a second, too, by the way, which is almost a superpower, right? Um, you know, I read once that like most college students can do that. Like if you turn off the lights in a room, most of them will automatically fall asleep. Nice. Because they're all sleep deprived. But um, yeah, normal human beings don't do that. Yeah. If you get your full eight hours a night. Maybe Keith like pushes himself to stay awake all the time so he can drop asleep at a moment's notice. Hmm. I wonder if he goes to sleep without a purpose, if he does occasionally accidentally drift into people's dreams. Hmm. A lot of unanswered questions in Night Mask. <laughs> so uh, Night Mask wakes up in the dream world and it's kind of a replay from the first couple of pages. Instead of a limo, we have a um, sort of a royal carriage 
Like, it looks like a hearse with like a weird <laughs> crown thing on top and it's like some jazzy decorations. Yeah, it's a weird like modern but medieval touches around kind of a world. And uh, he's waking up and it's a, Peter's daughter is again like, oh, look at that man who's hurt. Oh, uh, shouldn't we go help him? And it's Nightmask they're talking about this time. It's like, no. No, we shouldn't help anyone this time. Absolutely don't help anyone. Yeah, so Nightmask is playing the role of the dog lying on the side of the road, basically. But the guy's uh, daughter kind of guilts him into it, so he goes off to have a look. Ah, my daughter always lending a royal hand to stray subjects down under luck. So he goes over to Keith, and uh, just as he gets closer and uh, introduces himself, um these medieval scoundrel types attack from the uh, surrounding trees so this is the robin hood story kind of come to life and strangely peter's not the hero of like robin hood he's fighting off the merry men i guess yeah he's the sheriff (laughs) so and the merry men are weird goons and i feel like the outfits deserve mention here because they're kind of fun. They're a bit like the uh, DC comic, The Inferior Five, if you remember that one. I do not. <laughs> uh, they're kind of dressed in like, as if they're on their way to a like Renaissance fair or something. Yeah, it's like jester pants, like a cool 80s half trench coat and a cape for him. And then like, you know, Kind of like the the, the skinhead mohawk that's always uh, yeah eternal punk some some kind of odd mashup of like eighties punk and Robin Hoods <laughs> yeah yeah it's not like Mad Max villains it's just kind of goofy yeah a lot of purple and orange and colorful and maybe laser swords did they ever say huzzah I don't think so. Oh, the Sherwood Hoods, he calls them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, there's not a lot of, like, you know, dangerous mafioso, uh, like, written on these guys. But anyway, it's his dream. I don't know what to tell you. So um, they start fighting off these hoods, and Peter has, like, all kinds of superpowers to, uh, you know, Lobber, you know, throw them over his head and uh, catch arrows as they're speeding through the air and all these uh, things. And even Nightmask is like sort of impressed that he's he's given himself all the powers he needs to save his family over and over again. Yeah, so yeah the guy fires this like arrow and no one's ever going to hurt them again. Not ever again. So he's a. Uh, they're both like fighting off these these clowns, and um, Keith realizes that you know this is how it happens in the real world. Except he didn't save them, and so he's going to have to kill the guy's wife and child to get him to wake up, or you know just let them die. Something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so the guy gets uh, tells the the driver to the chauffeur to take off uh, the car with his family 
And then he starts flying with Keith holding on to him. Um, they stop to hit uh, Tucker Fry, who's the worst of the scoundrels, um, and then land on the car and is, invites him to the cat, spend a night at the castle. So smash cut to this castle, which is kind of a, again, like a medieval castle mashed together with a um, typical suburban house. Of the, yeah, like a huge, like a big suburban mini mansion slash castle. Mc, yeah, Mick Mansion. Yeah. And indoors, you see a bit of that MC Escher um, format with some staircases going in weird angles. And then some art on the wall, which to be honest, I'm, I'm having trouble placing whether that's like an Andy Warhol, like Marilyn Monroe, or a Patrick Nagel, which was super popular. Hmm. I mean, that's more than I got. There's definitely a hint of the soup can next to it. That's what I get. Maybe that's what I got it from because there's, I love New York and the soup can. And I'm like, we have an Andy Warhol museum here. So it's always okay. on my mind level or another um so the keith is like well thanks uh, this place is a real mind blower all right like something straight out of a dream out of this dream that's what i want out of this dream hmm. there's nobody fun to make out with in this dream there's not um so yeah keith still feels bad that the guy has his wife and daughter here and that he would have to rip them away from him um he goes up uh gets a, a room to relax where he's laying down relaxing within a dream <laughs> taking a dream break <laughs> then he sees a, a merry mobster outside his window it's tucker fry still trying to make a death uh, call on baron and why is he, this guy the only named goon? I was really like, I don't feel like that name showed up either in the beginning or at the end. I mean, they call him that a couple of times, but they never said like the, you know, that the mafia bosses he's testifying against were, was like a, you know, some name that's similar to that or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like the Fry Gang or something. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of that what would I sound like a McDonald's criminal, I guess, but. <laughs> The Hamburglar, yes, is uh, making an attempt on his life. Um, he throws something out the window at him, uh, and this grapples with him a bit. I guess it's his hat rack. That so, yeah, that like, coat stand is evocative of the staff that he has in the front cover of the book. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, he basically like sees the guy climbing right out of his window, You know, kind of grabs him with the end of a coat rack and kind of Thwomps him on the ground and smacks him on the head. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that like the the dream world is like a whole. It's like a world beyond Baron's perception. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like, good point. It, I wouldn't expect there to be much around past where the guy is actively dreaming, but who knows? So he's um, yeah, he he fights the guy. He's like, I won't tolerate anymore. The man and his family have been terrorized enough. Kind of terrorizing himself at this point, but um, it's like get a grip on yourself. It's a dream. I got to just do what I came in here for. So he had. They both um, head into um, dining hall through these 
three or four dimensional hallways. And they see uh, Baron and his family sitting down to eat. And Keith gets a message from Teddy. Keith, Lucian wants me to tell you Baron's life readings are fading fast. You've got to make that dream end now. So Keith like runs up some stairs and uh, they see Tucker Fry up there with his arrow. You squealed on the gang, Baron. No matter how far you went to hide, you knew there was no escape. And we have another countdown. Three, four, five. Count up. Count up, sorry. And uh, Keith grabs something and you think he's going to um, swing down and save save the family or something. But no, he just grabs Baron and makes sure that he can't save his wife and family. And then this arrow gets down there and blows up and kills them again. Oof. Ouch. So he's um, he's super upset. You could have saved them, but you let them die. Why? He's like, we'll let you live, leave you alive, Baron, while your dream dies all around us. I trashed your dream. That's what I was sent here to do. He says this was the gravity of like having actually like killed everyone in his family to to get him out. So really, yeah, that's just dream family. Just the dream. The dream. regular family has been dead for a week. At least. I'm sorry. Ah, so he's like he he comes out of the dream. He's with uh, Teddy and Lucian again, and uh, he's like, I didn't want to do it, but I had to. I killed them. I made the choice not to save them. Only thing you killed was a sick fantasy, Keith. Fantasy that was about to claim the life of man destroying himself with guilt. Thanks to you, Peter Baron is awake and alive. So then we have a quick panel of um, the news reporting that Baron had testified successfully against the mob bosses. And they will, all five gangsters will soon be behind bars for many years to come. We, as we sort of, uh, scroll wheel back we see uh peter baron laying a wreath at his uh family's tombstones and then we also see keith laying a wreath at his parents tombstones so with leaving his wreath at uh his own parents graves um is uh keith thinks that living through his peter's nightmare helped him finally come to terms with that my own loss I'll always cherish my memories of you, mom and dad, not out of guilt or desperation, but out of love. And to sort of give you a parallel to the beginning, best part of Peter, Keith Remsen's life may be yet to come. Color him hopeful. And that's it. There's no next time coming up next issue, nothing. No promises. No um, letters column. I, I, we still have no letters column so far this month. And uh, no uh, Marvel checklist or anything. No. Mm -hmm. Not giving we have a couple of house ads you. we've seen before for Strike Force Moraturi. Uh, I think Comet Man earlier. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Fall Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels, yeah. Right. All I remember is that it was like the least satisfying miniseries. I was like, <laughs> yeah, so literally felt like i've been tricked playing in soccer and then that starts off the adventure <laughs> yeah it's very much like 
there was an argument between two of the new mutants, and I guess one of them stormed off to have his own adventures. Okay. Yeah. yeah hmm. I, in my X Men reading heyday, I picked up all the spinoffs and like around fallen angels, and there was exterminators, and like they started to uh, feel like they're really forcing it. Not 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 the most high quality uh, stuff. Yeah, unfortunate, but uh, yeah, Andy's the 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 real ex expert, folks. So if you have any questions on ex continuity, please <laughs> direct them to you. Yeah, except I skipped from like ninety six to two thousand or so. Some real junk. <laughs> I went. Yeah, I told you before. I like. Yeah, I went a long time. I started picking them up again when. Grant Morrison was writing, but that was about as much as I got out of it. Left again soon afterwards. So my summary of this uh, issue um, was okay, but I, as I as sort of alluded to earlier, I was kind of disappointed there wasn't like a B plot, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a real world threat component, uh, a bomb in their house. Or maybe one of those uh, FBI agents was really a traitor and was setting him up or was going to kill the guy himself. It would have made a lot more sense. (laughs) I mean, you know, in fact, the guy, what it wasn't just the dream that was killing him, like the guy was poisoning him or something because he's always there guarding him. I can think of several ways that might have gone. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, those would have been cool additions because it was pretty. It was pretty basic all the way through, I guess. It had that nice kind of, uh, you know, Keith having to deal with someone whose family got blown up, you know, and caused that person to sort of relive that pain. And that was really the sole focus. And for a kind of sort of fill in, it did a nice job of continuing with the, you know, all of the characters and not just, you know, Keith wanders off and, finds himself in a situation kind of thing, but yeah. it doesn't really add to the greater story much either. Yeah, it's, uh, I get, maybe they thought, you know, paralleling the Peter Barron story to Keith's story was sufficient, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, uh, it had good uh, sort of play back and forth between the, the, how they had both dealt with their um, hor- horrific experiences by you know, jumping into their dreams or other people's dreams in this case. But. Yeah, I really, I, I mean, it, it didn't really amount to much, but it was interesting that they flipped the um, good guy, bad guy for the Robin Hood, Sherwood hoods, and the sheriff was now kind of the good guy. But uh, also, <laughs> like, the goons were just kind of fun. Like, they didn't really do much, but they were dressed like, like if you took the, I don't know, what is the name? Like that, like future punk, cyberpunk gang from like Dark Knight Returns, like the Frank Miller Batman, like those kind of like iconic goons with their sunglasses. The and Yeah, the mutants. Yeah. Like if you took them, but like they got all their costumes from like a high school costume room got randomly thrown together in like the most colorful arrangement possible. <laughs> it was like, that's what we saw there. And just out of pure wackiness, I, I enjoyed them. It was good wackiness. Yeah. 
Yeah, even um, they, they had kind of like that stage sword kind of fighting kind of thing. Yeah. Nobody really got Very hurt. theatrical, yeah, like a high school musical version. Yeah. And the new universe doesn't really shy away from violence and killing. Um, but yeah, they seemed more kind of comical than anything else. Like, they didn't really feel like they were a threat. Yeah. Even so. though I guess he kind of nuked his <laughs> his dream family with a exploding Rambo arrow. Yeah. In the previous issues, we've seen sort of more nightmarish foes that were, you know, completely overpower you. And yeah, these are just some goons and you just knock them around. Yeah. Um, let's see. I was trying to remember if this was like a reference play. I think Scarface had like a, a guy with a car bomb that he was like, um, you know, he didn't want to kill the guy's like whole family was with him or something. You remember Scarface with Al Pacino? I, I haven't watched that since I was probably too young to have been watching that. <laughs> it's been a long time for me, but I remember there was like a more, a moral quandary late in the film where it's like, a, a guy who's informing or, or something is like, it's like, okay, we'll bomb, put a bomb on his car. And then he's like, his like wife and kid get in the car with him. And he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. It becomes like a ironic that that's the thing that leads him to his downfall. I think later. Yeah. Anyway. I only want to murder some people. <laughs> not a, not a crazy guy. I'm just a mobster. Come on. I, <laughs> So, um, I don't know. Uh, I give this B minus, maybe. Um, yeah, I was thinking B minus, C plus. I go C plus. I always I seem did, like I'm one step below. I, I did like uh, the art overall. As I said, it's not. Um, maybe the action isn't great, but the character moments are good, I think. Yeah, and it's always easy to tell what's going on. Yeah, clear. nobody nobody likes to see in teaching, but like it's average, right? I mean, that's that's the middle of the curve. So like that's kind of yeah. how I felt like this book was. It's fine. Like I I, I enjoyed reading it. It adds to the story. Kind of continues things along. Uh, Dream World was interesting. You know, there just wasn't anything spectacular or like really fun about it. It was just like yeah, that's a, that's all right. That's a good book. Yeah, I think I'm I'm getting a better idea on how to approach grading, and it's uh, yeah. If there's, it's fine and enjoyable. I'll, something with a B, and if there's like a serious flaw, like the art is hard to follow or something, maybe knock it down to C. Or if there's something exceptional about it, up to a A. But, so that's where I'm at. Yeah. We haven't given anything a D or an F yet, so that's a good sign for the new universe. It should be a yeah. successful uh, launch. You know, we you've been looking a lot at the other things that came out that month, at least from Marvel, right? Yeah. And we always say that it's actually because there's so many things that are like legendary that are coming out at the same time that this really sort of pales in comparison. Yeah, Man um, of Steel by John Byrne and such. 
Yeah. How are you feeling about that assessment now? Still, I think it might be pretty spot on. I mean, like if, if comics bands have shown anything too, is like, you know, that they're always kind of wary of things that don't have their comic heroes in them. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a reason Wolverine is in like, is to this day still in a ton of comics and they always throw them on like the Avengers and even like the fantastic four and stuff because yeah. people gravitate towards the characters they know. Right. So I think it was, it was always going to be harder for uh, people to give a chance to something brand new. You know, I think the benefit they probably had was just like the spectacle, like, boom, like, Hey, this is big. This is a big deal. New universe. Right. Yeah. But then it, it could be a little bit of a tough, uh uphill battle if you don't have spider-man guest starring and you know the things yeah. that i hate like from the 90s of like throwing in all the guest stars and everybody's got guns and shoulder pads and like exciting like trying to make it cool and flashy you know like i think that stuff's terrible but um but i think it you know it, it's kind of eye eye-catching in a way maybe night mask wouldn't be you know I mean, it's a book about normal people, really. Yeah, I mean... Like Comet Man, I was surprised. I I read that. I thought that was its own thing. Um, But then, like, Marvel heroes show up. You know, like, the Fantastic Four helps him out kind of stuff. Yeah, like, totally out of the blue. Like, issue three, I'm like, oh, I guess this is in the Marvel universe if he drops in on (laughs) (laughs) She-Hulk. Yeah, this, I mean... It's interesting. We were kind of putting together what other realistic or at least sort of off on their own books had come out around the same time and whether they uh, match or don't match the new universe. Yeah. Dakota yeah. North. Dakota North. Um, Strike Force Moratory. The uh, Facebook uh, fan page definitely likes that one. Um, yeah, because supposedly that was like a pitch idea for New Universe that spun off onto its own thing. So yeah, I don't know. You you if you look through the um, solicits for the month, you do there. There's a number of books that are kind of just off on their own that uh, could have either been, or maybe were just eventually folded into the Marvel mainline Marvel universe. Um, and these, they've made such a point of separating them. They really lost that sales pitch um, for, for tying it into the Marvel universe. And then now we're starting to see crossovers within it. So hopefully the people who've picked it up and given it a try will sort of have that like, oh, I, I wasn't following DP7, but now I see them here and it looks like fun. Yeah. It's probably like I picked up a couple of books that, I didn't do in the beginning because oh yeah this looks fun yeah i mean that that tactic still works on me today like i'll read a, a book from like marvel's epic line and then they'll advertise something else in there that looks kind of cool you know I'm like, yeah, maybe i should check out void indigo you know it's like something <laughs> i've never heard of um and like the crossover thing like reading fantastic four or no, it was like reading John Byrne's Alpha Flight, like crosses into Fantastic Four, um, you know, in, in, even almost in kind of like a superficial way. But then like, I'm like, hey, that sounds like fun. Let's track down those issues. And so like that kind of stuff works for me. So since, I mean, 
we're annoyed that they don't give us the bulletin bullpen bulletin every week and the checklist right but like those things would have been nice right just like hey check out what's going on in cyforce right or you know just some little hints here and there of what's coming out yeah i mean comics don't have like tv commercials or that much like outside advertising so it's usually just house ads and some of these promotional materials that marvel put out like marvel age and then word of mouth at the comic shop i guess yeah because the ads are different like like i'll see some some new universe ads in other books you know that are coming out like these months well they will have some new universe ads here and there um interesting not as much as like comet man and moratori as we're seeing yeah they've really pushed those hard in the new universe books yeah i was i thought maybe they had uh pushed house ads for the new universe in the mainline comics at the beginning and then just sort of dropped it quickly yeah that's what it seems like which is unfortunate yeah can't fix it now though it's too late too late Okay. Well, let's see. Shall we take a break and come back? Let's take a break and come back and talk about some paranormal teens that do not get along. All right. Okay, welcome back to the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're ready for Cyforce Issue 5, The Psy Stalker Strikes, which has got a right. great cover. Okay. Uh, so it looks like Texira and Barda uh, are credited on this cover. Um, basically, we have a new character, presumably the Psy Stalker, which just looks like a normal guy in some cargo pants and a jacket. Actually, I think I have this outfit. Um, <laughs> did did he he steal uh, Wayne's clothes? He does look very Wayne-ish. But he doesn't have the gloves. Wayne has the trademark like 80s tough guy gloves. So this has a like image comics look to it for some reason. I, I you know, it has that sort of bold, you know guy yeah. sort of villain gloating over crushing someone kind of look and everybody kind of collapsed in the background in a pile. yeah i think he's got like the image comics like scream mouth thing going too oh yeah that's like, good yeah everybody's imagine always, a life and whether you're jump kicking firing a laser beam or you know just sitting down for dinner you know, always mouth wide open bearing teeth in a grimace <laughs> <laughs> too many pouches to fill <laughs> Uh, anyway, our, our Cyforce cover um, seems to have the Psy Stalker grappling with uh, Anastasia, Stasi, um, kind of getting the better of her. And then all the, all the rest of the team is kind of slumped over, collapsed on the floor in the background. Um, that would be our Psy Stalker. 
All right. Uh, so this issue, uh, written again by Danny Fingeroth, we've had him since issue three. Uh, I think he does go on to continue uh, a, quite a bit of Psy Force writing. Um, artist is by committee a little bit. So we Mark Texiera through the breakdowns and some of the finishes, and we've also got Breeding and Milgram. So yeah, a whole bunch of people helped finish up this one at least. Yeah, and interesting, again, um, I always think like breakdowns is a good way to go. If, um, because some of the, the uh, Justice League around that time, like Keith Giffen would do breakdowns and uh, other artists would do uh, the finishes. And it was, you know, you still had some variation, but the basic, you know, sense of composition and everything was, was there and was solid and it was... I think it helped. I don't know if they were just new artists sometimes, but yeah. And then you don't have the like it would prevent some disconnect between what the writer wants and what the artist is thinking that they're supposed to draw. Especially if you're doing things in a hurry, then too you don't have to kind of like if if you have all the time in the world, you can come up with something awesome, but you got to get this thing done. <laughs> like okay, you know, yeah, he, he's collapsed. You got to get bed, this thing done. Is the motto of the new universe. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not the podcast <laughs> yeah we've got all the time in the world six hour long episodes <laughs> we start graphing the length of these things and it's like going up we'll reassess our, our approach to this but anyway. fans demand more content <laughs> anyway so we don't spend 20 minutes on the first half of the first page. Um, our, our title splash page uh, in New Universe style has the second title, The Touch, um, which is, just reminds me of the theme song from the Transformers movie. Um, but the splash page is basically just images of the Cyforce team. You know, you get all their first and last names as a good reminder. Uh, if you didn't remember, Stasi's last name is Inushin, and Tyrone's last name is Jessup. <laughs> yeah, this is the sort of thing I really wish they'd have done at some point with the troubleshooters. Absolutely. Holy cow. And the, some of the modern style of comics, when they have like that first page that shows you like little square head, like little breakdowns of who all the characters are in this issue, like those were always really nice. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind that. All right. Uh, but getting to the comic, on the next page, we have a shadowy figure, quite literally, like, you know, he is all shadow, um, not magical power, just, you know, they don't want to show us what he looks like. So you know, all we get is his outline and a little bit of hand in a purple suit. Um, but as it turns out, this is a guy who's got these pictures of the Cyforce team, and he's looking to kidnap them. Right, so he's talking to a young guy by the name of Thomas, uh, who wants to be called Stalker. Uh, so here's our Psy, our Psy Stalker. Um, and so he, he, in the new universe, actually likes his code name here. Um, yeah, so Thomas is tasked with cap capturing them. And we get a little bit of backstory actually connecting back to Emmett Proudhawk, because in the early comic, um, there was a list of paranormals that the U.S. government had that got leaked. And so this shadowy guy apparently was the leaker. Uh, and he also 
faked uh, Thomas's death uh, so that he could keep him all to himself and I don't know, I guess recruit him, maybe kind of brainwash him, but you know, he's, he seems like a willing participant at this point, but up to no good. Yeah, so it, it looks to me like this is set up to be either the director or the skipper that we've seen before. Oh, the no, first issue. not the skipper. <laughs> yeah, well, which one would be like the bigger shock reveal um that's a good one i hadn't even thought of that but yeah that's that's that seems very possible uh, it could be someone we know and that's why they're not showing him so it's a um we haven't seen the director since the very beginning i think um, yeah occasionally it calls in the skipper to yell at him a little bit but yeah it's been a little while um, just uh but that's a guess, but like you say, because since they're taking such pains not to show us who he is. Or what he yeah, like. we'll see. Bonus points to you if uh, it comes up to be accurate. I don't think it's going to be the skipper, though. He seems like an all right dude. Yeah, but it's, let's see, there was also the Russian agents, but it's, he was, the, if this is the guy who was leaking it from inside with the CIA. Yeah. Yeah, so capture or kill are the orders here. Um, so then we cut to later that day at high school in the section of San Francisco known as the Devil's Acre, uh, which I couldn't find anything about other than there's a bar named that. <laughs> yeah, that's if that's a section of San Francisco, it's like one that's like a block long now. I don't know. But yeah, so we have the classic school assembly. <laughs> um, and in old school, this guy. You know, he's not even showing a projection. He just has a bulletin board that, like, no way anybody would be able to see any of his papers on there because it's so far away. You know, we can't even see it. Like, <laughs> so you did not go through the grad school training that we got. Um, but he's talking about uh, schistosoma or blood fluke. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, I like schistosoma. Yeah. The untold is the cause of untold disease and death in underdeveloped countries around the world. Uh, so it's a parasite that causes a disease, uh, kind of like malaria. Uh, so that sort of scale of problem is the impression I've gotten for that. And so uh, he's talking about his life's work, which is the cure, and he feels like he's very close uh, to doing that. Um, you know, cut to the audience and our, our, our friends here in the auditorium, uh, you get a nice thought bubble from Michael Crowley, who's kind of the nerdy guy. It's like, this is great. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Uh, better than I hoped. And he was apparently the one who in invited him here in the first place. Uh, and then we get little panels from each of the other characters who are just not really even paying attention, just kind of thinking of their own things. Um, so Tyrone's, it's good character stuff to, to sort oh, of go from person to person. Tyrone's like, eh, this guy doesn't look too healthy. Ah, maybe I should get my <laughs> math done before basketball practice. And Wayne is like kind of trying to figure out and he's still a little bothered by the fact that you know, he couldn't escape the Cyhawks influence, whereas uh, Kathy was able to kind of break free of it. Uh, so a little jealousy from our tough guy, but um, Again, I think it's, it's still worth mentioning that the Cyhawk, as their ultimate power, uh, 
that the team can create is still kind of their enemy. <laughs> I mean, not really, but like they're not happy about it. Uh, you know, Kathy kind of recaps her problems from the previous issue of kind of being stuck. You know, she was able to break free, but ended up needing to come back anyway just to keep everybody safe. Um, and Anastasia, uh, who's thinking about you know what she should do, right? So, you know, wants to do good and heal people. Um, conflicted with you know trying to keep everything a secret and protect her friends. So yeah, so talks over. Uh, uh, Crowley is Michael Crowley is kind of meeting with the older professor outside, kind of thanking him for coming. Uh, when he kind of cripples over, uh, clutching his chest uh, before he can get into his car, you know, tries to grab his heart pills, uh, but spills them all and drops the whole thing conveniently in a storm drain. Um, Anastasia is there. They're like, oh, we can call an ambulance, and she's you know, now forced to directly deal with the issues. She's not supposed to use her powers in public and supposed to keep them a secret, but this guy's clearly dying. Um, so she heals him and then just kind of tries to play it off as, you know, she doesn't know what happened. Um, but he's a little bit onto her. It's like, I feel fine, better than I have in months. What did you do to me, young lady? <laughs> so we've got our size stalker and our uh, older gentleman, right? So right yeah sort of rich i don't know yeah probably not rich. that rich rich in love of humanity I guess. Ooh, that's nice maybe he wrote some textbooks and he's got some of that good textbook money <laughs> we'll get into like uh the realities of re medical research at some point in this uh story later yeah i'm still sad that we didn't get any uh Further issues of uh, the aforementioned uh, Steve the Deadbeat Scientist and Kickers. I feel like that's an underused character. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, back to uh, the sanctuary, which again confuses me because they show it and it looks like a big row house. But on the inside, they seem to have infinite space for like cafeterias and dorms and you know offices and just like <laughs> there's some sizing issues. Uh, you have a, a woodworking shop in your uh, yeah right away shelter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jim, they've got everything, a little bit of everything. Um, so yeah, so uh, the kids are at the lunch table talking. Um, and Stasi's kind of talking about you know, how she realizes she has this power she's blessed with, you know, maybe she should be helping people. Uh, again, they're kind of, you know, every time they've used their powers, they've had to mind wipe someone or kind of sneak out of it. Uh, they've, they've been really struggling even to save themselves uh, using their power. Usually Wayne comes in to save the day at the end. Uh, this time he's just mad, you know, so I'm sick of having to always clean people's memories of us away instead of shaking his fist like he usually does and kind of like and slams the table on something <laughs> you know whether he's kind of smashing a hole in the table or breaking a plate it's a little hard to tell um you know a big smash you know he bloodies his hand uh stasi instinctually just kind of grabs to heal him which which lets off a glow and that sets off uh their caretaker uh, oh shoot! What's her name? 
Colby Shaw. Colby Shaw, yeah. Who seemed nice at first, but then she's a real hard ass uh, from here on in and basically just shows up to yell at them for using a, their powers now rather than like trying to take care of this. Yeah, she had a, a an assistant for a minute. Um, he's disappeared and uh, the last this issue and maybe the one before, it's a lot of I see you using your powers, and if I see you doing this one more time, <laughs> you're out on the street. It's kind of like the uh, you're not going to get any presents from Santa if you don't behave kind of threat. <laughs> I think they've learned to ignore her at this point. You're only here because I was friends with Emmett Proudhawk. I'm not really sure what he saw in her anyway. Maybe the assistant was what was keeping her happy. I don't know. <laughs> Now that she's gone, she's just a real meanie. You got to do two people's work all every day. Yeah, she was. Um, yeah, she's. She's. I can't quite place like if this is a, a stereotype or something, um, or a character we've seen before. Like the. It feels kind of stereotype, but yeah. maybe just because she hasn't had much characterization after the like. Maybe it's well. Like boarding houses are kind of a pre World War II thing. Like very yeah. old movies would have been. But anyway, yeah. So uh, and of course now uh, a new guy walks in, uh, and so who is obviously Thomas in this case. Uh, it's like, oh yes, you must be the young man who called before. Uh, so he has a cover story that he's you know he had a rough time back in Cleveland and arrived in San Francisco, needs a place to stay. Uh, Thomas Boyd. Uh, this is also the only panel in which he has a little bit of a goatee, so maybe a coloring mistake there. I got a little over overexcited with that shadow there. Yeah, I thought it looked nice, <laughs> but mm. um, so yeah, he he walks Looks in. Looks like but... a young Andy Robach, folks. Oh dear! <laughs> I did say I had that outfit. I think that's what they were trying to say. Yeah. I got, I got that jacket from a hobo. <laughs> anyway, so not much introduction for him. We cut straight to two days later. Uh, this is this is really Anastasia's issue, I think, uh, for character development. Um, but you know, another day of school over, another day of hiding from the world. I've got to do something. But what? <laughs> and of course, then she runs directly back into the older guy, our, our flukeworm scientist. Uh, blood fluke uh, who's tracked her down because he's figured out that she's got some kind of healing power um, you know it's, it's funny like Kathy was also getting harassed on the street by old guys last yeah. issue. I guess that's the universal problem you cannot walk around San Francisco and not be harassed by old men yeah and when it's not them it's street gangs and when it's not them it's either the Russian or American government trying to kill you Basically, anytime these poor kids go outside, someone's, <laughs> someone's after them. Creeps never sleep. That's what she called it. Creeps never sleep. That was the best line. <laughs> so this guy's not too creepy, but you know he's he, he knows something's up. Um, he's trying to kind of lure her in, like, hey, maybe you should come and check out the lab. Uh, might find something interesting. If you got some free time, come by. Um, he, he doesn't really know what's up with her, whether she really has the power or maybe she, maybe she does and doesn't realize it and such. Um, but he's, he, he's looking to get some of that healing. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You you get a little bit of his thought ballooning. Um, I'm sure she healed me, but how could she? Is she unaware? How could this even be real? But I'm sure it is. I yeah. right. I mean, he's probably like a medical science guy, right? Dealing with kind of fact and evidence, and yeah. So this would be pretty strange. Uh, but you know, there's no arguing with. You know, I'm sitting here dying and drop my pills, and then all of a sudden I feel 20 years younger, kind of thing. So, um, and then we learn why Thomas is, in fact, yeah. Well, so he proves himself to be evil in this next scene uh, as he's hanging out with Michael uh, and just sort of having a nice conversation. He says, "Hey, you want to hold my pet gerbil?" <laughs> and his thoughts are, "Oh yeah, sure." Oh, he says, "Sure, here, here, take him," and then. His thought bubble is pathetic little thing. <laughs> um, so he hands him back, hands Michael back the gerbil, but now it's kind of weak and cold and barely conscious. Um, so this seems to be our stalker's powers. He's got some kind of death touch or energy draining ability. Um, he also has a wonderfully evil looking face afterwards. He's like, oh gosh, I don't know what happened. Maybe one of those mean kids must have poisoned him or something. Then he turns with the evil grin. It's like, I mean, this is going to be like taking candy from a baby. (laughs) You hurt the gerbil. I mean, come on, man. Just unbelievable. That's awful. (laughs) So a few hours later, in a nondescript building atop a hill in another part of San Francisco, we got the science lab. Uh, so the doctor's giving Stasi a tour. Uh, yeah, actually, kind of a realistic-looking science lab. Uh, yeah, this not- part is pretty realistic. I was afraid it was going to be just like the old man working at a bench, which would be—I would go off for like an hour on how, <laughs> like, dude, at this point in his career, has not been at the bench in twenty years and yeah. is not going to pick up something. And you know, but, okay, this looks like normal research people doing their sort of a team investigating something at his direction. So, okay. I see maybe a dissecting scope and maybe an HPLC on the right side there. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. That's my guess. Tall thing with tubes. Uh, But he's feeling tired. So he's like, oh, well, doesn't having trouble finishing the tour. You know, physically, you can kind of see him kind of like holding onto the door to keep himself from coming and falling over. Um, and then he, he levels with her. He's like, I'll get right to the point. I'm extremely ill, dying. I have at most weeks to live, at the least days, hours. I should be in a hospital that would add, but that, but although that would add some time to my life and keep me from my, oh, uh, although it would keep him alive. So many keep clauses him from his in work. Sense. Yeah. So, um so he wants to stay working to finish his research and hopefully save millions of lives um but in doing so you know he's running out his clock faster basically you know and says you know you said you haven't been able to heal but really you know i I think you can like what price can i pay please can you permanently cure me you know can you help me live a little bit longer um so he's appealing for his for to extend his life basically um, so she's got a lot to think about. It's a lot of thought bubbles. She kind of flashes back to you know, the Russians making her and kind of experimenting, exploiting her healing powers, uh, like a lab rat kind of thing. Um, you know, she doesn't really want to, uh, 
stand out. She doesn't really, she isn't sure if, you know, Proudhawk or would agree or if Cyhawk would even let her do this thing. So she kind of tells him no at first. Um, he gets a phone call. She wanders off to a uh, sickly dog, right? So we have people grappling with whether they should use their power just to help people and unwell dogs. This guy's in a little bit better shape, kind of hanging out on the couch. And we have Amadeus, the dog. So she's petting him, realizes he's kind of an older, unhealthy dog, and kind of accidentally heals the dog, which springs to life. And like, yay! <laughs> you <laughs> must have done <laughs> this. He's lively as a pup again. <laughs> it's like, but I didn't do anything. Like, I can help them only if you agree to help me. Right? So she agrees. Um, you know, she's not going to take any money. She'll she'll help him. She'll heal him. You know, the deal is struck. Ugh, someone doesn't understand how helpful money is in 1986. Right? That would totally... Uh, I mean, he doesn't need it, too, because he doesn't have long to go. You're going to have a fancier funeral? Just give me the money. Come on. You can get a nice hotel room instead of having to stay in the sanctuary. Maybe visit a cool resort building or something. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so clip to four nights later, and um, uh, Kathy is roommates with Stasi. Kind of walks in, you know, notices she's asleep again. She's like, "Like you keep leaving, you come back, you're tired all the time. What's going on? I thought maybe it was a boy, but like, you know, you had a feeling that's not it. <laughs> Good instincts there. Um, but yeah, she, so she." basically comes clean that she's been healing Dr. Linden uh, pretty much every day, uh, but it takes a lot out of her as she heals, you know, she, she uses up energy uh, as far as things go. And, and so she can become pretty weak after healing somebody. Mm -hmm. So again, she keeps up with it several days later, you know, she's healing him. Uh, you know. I like that Kathy was like very supportive of it and it really sort of put Stasi's mind at ease, you know, yeah, that's rare. It's usually she's more negative. Yeah, yeah. You're healing that old guy? That's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, do you have to touch him? Ah. And so, so to Lyndon's credit, when Stasi's healing him in the most recent time, and she kind of like is starting to lose her energy and kind of stumbles, uh, she's like, oh, I never meant to, for this to take such a toll on you. We don't know how your powers work or what the limits are. You know, we should terminate these sessions at once for your sake. And she's like, no, we're so, you're so close. You know, we can just get you there. Um, it'll be worth it no matter what the cost, she says. Uh, meanwhile, in the schoolyard, uh, Tyrone's playing basketball with uh, the stalker, we'll just call him. Uh, and perhaps because he gets dunked on, <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't think that well, although he's still pretending to be friends. You know, they shake hands, um, but he uses that as an opportunity to steal his Tyrone's energy. Um, as a last gasp, he tries to escape with his astral form, but uh, with his body weak, he can't use that power, apparently. Uh, so he kind of sucks back in and uh, gets stuffed in a van. What are you doing to me? Nothing much, Tyrone just killing you <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks yeah that's a great line this guy is is, is scooby-doo evil 
All right, so soon in the bio lab of the nearby nearly deserted school, so I guess Crawley hangs out and does science after hours with no teachers around. Um, then, uh, you know, Stalker sneaks up on him. He kind of grabs him, uh, but Michael knows something's up, so he kind of throws him off. Is that a bad feeling about you ever since you held my gerbil? <laughs> and it almost died. Me too, man. Me too. Nobody should hurt a gerbil. Uh, it's like, oh, calm down. Why not concentrate on something real? And he chucks a microscope at him, and Michael has explosion power, so he kind of explodes the microscope to defend himself. But then uh, Stalker uses as an opportunity to kind of dive into him, throw him in a headlock, and boom. Our second member of Cyforce is knocked out and stuffed in the van. Yeah, I like that... Uh stalker was really um he didn't know what kind of powers any of them had so he um he's sort of surprised whenever he attacks them with whatever their response is and with michael he is really shocked by this exploding power he's like oh no i've got to get this guy down right now yeah, just like yeah in full force. he'd only blown up his shoe or something could have ended the whole episode <laughs> All right, so yeah. we cut to Kathy and Wayne. So Kathy's in a in a room by herself, sick. Um, you know, just kind of reading. I'm going to say comic books, but it looks more like a newspaper. Um, and Wayne's coming up, and you know, it kind of seems like he's up to something. You know, starts to use his psychic powers on Kathy. You know, from the other side of their door of her door, um, but she catches on to him right away and starts flinging everything in her room at him and kind of busts the door on his head <laughs> or at least smashes the door uh, around him. And of course, uh, headmaster, uh, cranky lady pops up. He's like, Oh, you're using your powers again. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you mentioned the wood shop. She sends them down to go make a new door. <laughs> so I guess they have some talented, some good work, woodworking skills. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Which is a little strange, but anyway, so uh, he he Wayne was trying to figure out, um, you know, why she was able to uh, escape the the Cyhawks' powers, and so that was his his sort of clumsy attempt at doing that. Uh, ended up just making her mad. Um, so meanwhile, back at the Linden Institute, um, so. The doctor's not looking so good. He's almost down for the count, kind of laying on some table. You know, it's like, I'm so weak and so near the end. You're my only hope, though. And, like, she wants to help him, give him one last chance. Um, but just before she can use her powers to heal him, you know, she, suddenly she gets this urge that she must return to the sanctuary. She's got to fight it. She's trying to heal Lyndon, but some force is keeping her from it. Uh, so this is the Cyhawk exerting his influence now on Stasi and making her do what it wants. There's only one force that can make these kids do anything it wants. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it really is kind of the bad guy. Uh, so she's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And it's like, Stasi, Stasi, Stasi. Holy, could file one Fading more. to black. Then. One more grant proposal. <laughs> That's basically the way I view it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, let me submit one more really proposal. Really and I'm like, <laughs> uh, 
So she runs back to the sanctuary. So Cyhawk knows that the group is in trouble. Um, cut to the wood shop where Kathy's sawing some boards. Uh, Stalker sneaks up on her, uh, basically grabs her before she can do anything. Uh, and, and his energy draining power really kind of gets all of them before they can fight back. Uh, Wayne shows up, you know, wondering what's going on, why the sawing stop. Uh, but again, you know, are you goofing off again, Kathy? <laughs> He's such a jerk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Stalker Thomas gra- grabs him from behind in a nice headlock too. Yeah, so really none of these guys put up much of a fight at all. He's just taking them down one by one, um, just like our cover scene where our, our whole team is pretty much in the background uh, collapsed. Uh, so we've got two down in the wood shop, two down in the van. Uh, the only one left is the Russian girl. No matter what her power is, if I get the drop on her, she'll be as easy to defeat as the rest of you. That's what you think. And the, yeah, the next line's interesting, too. I better call the boss, see what he wants me to do next. So it's very under, step-by-step step under someone's direction. Yeah. yeah, maybe he's not that bright. I mean, I would say stuff them in the van and then drive them back to wherever you were trying to kidnap them to, right? Yeah, that's... And where's everybody else as he's like lugging unconscious bodies to this van, right? Where's the whole rest of the orphanage here? Um, I guess the woodshop's in the basement. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> anyway. All right. So Stasi figures, that, okay, so that's why she comes, why Cyhawk must have wanted her to come back because this guy's taking out her teammates. Um, yeah, maybe together we could have created the Cyhawk, but now it's just her alone. You know, I, th- I think there is a way to beat Thomas. It's a gamble, but I've got to take it. So she comes in swinging, maybe smacks him. I, I think like he dodges, um, grabs her arm. So he's ready to drain her energy. Um, um, <laughs> won't you surrender, Stasi? I'd hate to be forced to hurt someone as cute as you. <laughs> Wow, wow. So he grabs both of her arms, just like on the cover, and then he realizes something's a little wrong here. You know, it's just, oh, until, no, no, I feel weak, like my own energy is being drained. Um, so I'm not 100% sure exactly how this power mashup is working, but there's some kind of feedback with Stasi's uh, healing powers and his energy draining powers, where, you know, he's still kind of trying to like a push pull, like, oh, I can kick it into overdrive, but, you know, whatever he's doing, uh, Stasi's powers are kind of coming out on top and, you know, weakening him instead. So we've got a lot of, like, cool, like, Dragon Ball Z energy explosions. Uh, uh, they're kind of fingers locked, uh, pushing against each other. Uh, but Stasi's looking kind of confident, though. She's like, she's like, stop, please, I can't take much more. And then she says, that's too bad, Thomas, for you. <laughs> So she's finally being kind of, a, you know, a tough one uh, to save the day in this case. So no, 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 and then eventually he crumples down. <laughs> and of course, he burns she, out. Yeah. yeah, he burns out. She's tired, but still has enough energy to heal. Uh, Kathy and Wayne kind of wake them back up, um, and Wayne kind of mind scans stalker to figure out that he's got the other two in a van you know they truss him up kind of like a pig like legs and arms tied behind his back 
uh, stuff them in a closet, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny, and then go back and kind of rescue the others. To be honest, this page feels kind of rushed. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like the... that he looks awake. I'm not sure if he is, because he could be just kind of propped up, but he looks kind of like awake and annoyed. Yeah. gagged and trussed <laughs> up in the closet like mm. as, they're clo- as they're closing the door closet door on him is that like uh, yeah <laughs> but yeah it's it it's like we have had a lot of several pages of conflict and now you know okay we only got one page left let's go <laughs> <laughs> so the day is saved and not by wayne this time right which is unusual uh, so Stasi's now, so I see now that I do have a purpose in the group and in the world, a real active role to play. Maybe there is a reason for the five of us to be together. All right, so she did some good today. Like she extended the life of a scientist, saved the day, rescued her friends, captured Psy Stalker. Um, well, except she faints because she's exhausted from all the healing. Uh, and then they checked the closet and somehow uh, Thomas got away. The ropes are broken. I mean, it seemed like he was tied up really well, so I've no and knocked out. So I'm not, I have no clue how he got out of there. But he, he did. The van's gone. You know, the size stalker has escaped to cause problems another day. Apparently, um, there's not again, really much they could have done with him other than keep him tied up, which would get pretty old pretty fast. So <laughs> they don't have their own. Who remembered to feed Thomas today? <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. Emma, uh, to don't be honest, have powers and don't kidnap uh, kids in the closet. The um, I mean, who knows how far away this this boss was? If there was a secret partner keeping an eye on him, yeah, sending like know. a lone guy to do this kind of a job seems like yeah, not a great plan. But whatever. Okay, could have just been another guy in the van for all we know. Yeah. All right. And so then uh, the good feelings are lost a little bit as we, our TV or radio looks like, yeah, we interrupt the hard rock hour for this news just in. And so the, the radio and the TV are spot on with their timely announcements in the new universe <laughs> because, you know, Dr. Wilfred Linden passed away about two hours ago in the San Francisco Research Center. So you know he was only alive presumably because she had kept healing him and so he died as soon as she left uh no no yes cyhawk you've shown me today i do have a purpose in the group your purpose nothing else matters to you nothing Oof. <laughs> nothing yeah it's a siphon i didn't save the day other than like getting her there so yeah so he he warned her and brought her back which is good but you know, totally controls all their lives. Um, so next month, we got a little end piece here. Tyrone goes home for the holidays. Astrally, astral protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a trip that turns into disaster for the whole team. Don't miss a deadly little Christmas. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got a Christmas issue. <laughs> well, nice. if that comes to be true. I, I mean. A little wary. It would, but... be, it would be very appropriate, yeah. Next will be right around Christmas. So, yeah, you said um, the like I said, this is Thanksgiving release. Yeah. All right. So, what did you think of Cyforce issue five? 
Um, surprised that I liked it as much as I did. Um, it, like I, we were saying before, it has two stories going on simultaneously almost, and yeah. they really sort of feed into each other well. So overall, it works pretty well. And, um, and then the art was, let's say, consistent with the previous issues, even with the uh, a number of finishers. It wasn't um, distracting or anything. So pretty happy with it. Um, yeah, at times, Cyforce has had a lot of exposition and, you know, explaining and, you know, backstory and recaps and such. And, you know, I feel like this issue was a lot better with that. There, was, there wasn't like three pages of federal agents talking about what's going on. Right, right. Yeah, there was a little like catching you up to speed, but it's, you know, an appropriate amount, it seemed. And then the introducing all the characters, you know, pretty well. So even if this was your first issue of Cyforce, I think you'd follow it pretty well and know what's yeah. going on. Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to just kind of pick up, too. It's obviously, you know, three or a group of five teens with powers and, you know, Hijinks, hijinks ensue, right? They're in an orphanage and stuff happens. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, always, I do always appreciate those little recap or explanation pieces. I think the only time they become bothersome is like if you're reading like a whole run, like in a sitting, right? Then you really don't need that. But mm. if you're going month to month, it's nice. Yeah. I remember reading like uh, X-Men, uh, the, the Phoenix saga and you know it's really solid stuff but like you'd get to the end of an issue and then you just turn the page and it's not a month later it's you're just turning the page and it's like they back up several pages of you know and go over it again um, so it'd be like oh no he's dead he's dead and you just turn the page oh look he moved he's alive he's alive <laughs> yeah that's quite a cliffhanger there now yeah, there's there's a lot of parallels between the two issues. I think in you know focusing on a character who is kind of struggling to kind of decide whether they should help. Uh, right, so Nightmask was really needing a break, and he was kind of psychologically stressed and having to deal with a dream world that reminded him of his parents dying, kind of thing. And you know, Stasi was always our uh, most kind of worried, careful one. I mean, she was the first issues she was ready to give herself give everybody up to the police like right away like oh maybe i should just go back to russia i don't want anyone to get hurt and yeah so she's, she's super worried that uh using her powers is going to kind of out her friends and you know get everyone uh back in trouble and maybe the government finds them again and such yeah it's um i mean this is one of the few powers that is like universally helpful. So it really puts her in kind of a different spot than some of the others. Like Michael's, that's, you know, good in combat, but, you know, in yeah. normal life, what's the point? You know, you could go years without using that power. Yeah. I mean, like Michael Crowley's would be like in a typical comic book, like that would be like the best power, right? You can make anything explode. You know, they'd be blowing up bad guys' guns and, you know, 
Yeah, I think I was I was talking about like how role playing games rank psychic powers, and I'm sure that would be like a much more uh, desirable one than telepathy. But like in the real world, yeah, yeah, in the real world, it would be a nightmare, right? Like, like if if you don't want to kill someone brutally, like it's going to (laughs) be real hard to use your power in a good way, right? Right. right. Telepathy can like help you get around in life. And healing would be people would really appreciate, but blowing things up, probably astrally projecting wouldn't do anything either way. Yeah, I feel like his power is pretty useless in almost all situations, <laughs> except for scouting. Telekinesis, um, sort of yes, sort of no. It's all just sort of dependent on your situation, but. Yeah, Most people I, don't. if she's strong enough to drop a house on you like she was in her own dream, then yeah, that's pretty useful. But if she's just flinging books around, you know, again, good in like a fighting situation, but you know, really she's more in real life here. So the powers be gross. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. we got a good dose of the, uh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? You know, like I've got this healing power. What am I doing? Right. Yeah. And it's doubled because the guy, it's not just like a rich guy or something. It's a guy who himself wants to heal people. And so she would be extending her own power and the use of it, which, you know, she's the only one who also enjoys her power. Um, yeah. So and she wants to help people and helping this guy would help even more people. Right. Supposedly, not just his people who need him to write grants and keep their funding going. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no but there's a little bit of a scientific problem there and maybe thinking of like, well, why him, right? You know, like. Yeah, I mean, the no reality protege, is. Like no notes, no, you know, here's the experiments that we still need to do, you know, like. Feel like he should be able to pass all that on, like you know. Yeah, like he said he's not going to be in the lab, and like only his hands are the wizard's hands, fast enough <laughs> to work the machine. You know. Yeah, absolutely not. So yeah, it's it's really a matter of like funding <laughs> at that point in a scientist's career, and so um, the idea that he needs a few more hours or something, and that'll somehow cure this yeah no that's not how it works at all yeah but i mean that's absolutely like the the typical movie science stereotype is like you know this one genius guy who's responsible for it all kind of deal that's what yeah that's why i was glad to see like other people in his research institute it's not just him and like that um the gnome's castle in zurich that we saw in last month's night mask (laughs) yeah but yeah, I don't know. Um, I noticed actually. Yeah, speaking of that, this this was the sec. This also reminded me of Night Mask Number Four, and that like using the, I'm going to overload you with the uh, power, you know, that you're trying to suck out of me. Yeah, it, it was a little bit like that. I, I mean, in reading it a couple times, I'm, I'm still left a little unsure how that power situation worked because I mean, she seemed confident that this is what she needed to do mm-hmm. um and it worked right but how does healing 
cancel out energy draining like like he got tired from trying to drain the energy faster than she got tired from trying to heal herself to cancel out his power something like that it seems a little backwards to me too like it should have worked the other way but yeah like her healing shouldn't have hurt him as far as yeah. i could tell but yeah okay. i mean that's that could just be a additional kind of facet to her psychic power too you know right so let's see i also noticed there's a lot of the uh, visual representation of psi powers um because like when he's attacking tyrone tyrone's like hey how come your hand is glowing like that a lot of times when they're using powers, I'm thinking that it's, you know, they're they're sort of showing something, but it's more for our benefit that like the characters themselves can't see like these crazy purple lines of energy coming out of you when you're using yeah. your psychic powers. So maybe but sometimes clearly. you can. Yeah, because the I keep forgetting the woman's name who runs the sanctuary. Um, but she she saw Stasi healing, right? So if it was just like stick your hand on and you know the cut goes away, then she would mm. never would have noticed that. But like big glowing yellow crackles of energy. Well, yeah. oops, <laughs> yeah, oops, yeah. So I yeah. I like that. This is kind of a nice touch. The other, well, like Tyrone has astro projection. So, I mean that's what we're calling it, but also like everyone can see him and he can talk. Right, he's not like a invisible ghost to everyone. Yeah, yeah. So whether you can see Wayne's power, that would be interesting because they show him like like a line connecting and like that kind of energy around his head and stuff. But like, if you could see that, I don't think you can. But yeah, yeah. I think they 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 it, for a couple of times with like pure telepathy, it's been like this guy's looking at me. That's all they sort of know yeah and we have a new villain now too so we've got just like almost everybody has except for uh you know ken connell there's like cyforce has their evil guy behind the scenes with his evil organization <laughs> uh now controlling Psy stalker or stalker um but yeah so now they kind of have like a classic villain in cyforce uh someone who's opposed to them since uh by all indications, Mind Wolf is not coming back. Yeah, it could be a while. He was um, messed up, though, so it wouldn't be too surprising if it took him 10 issues to come back, if he does it the, all. Um, yeah, having like a, 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 a countering um, paranormal is good. I'm glad to see more of that popping up now. So. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if they will leave the sanctuary. Like, do we run out of interesting stories to tell in the sanctuary? Do they hit the road like like DP seven kind of? Yeah, or do they find? Is there like a backup back back house? What do you call it? Safe yeah. house. Um, yeah, either of those would work. There's a. Um, <laughs> I will kind of. I got to admit, at first I didn't care much for sanctuary, but now it's like exploring the TARDIS. I'm kind of enjoying it. <laughs> It's infinite numbers of rooms. Yeah. Go down to level 35 and hang a left and uh, you'll find our medical wing. What? <laughs> um, something else they said was that 
the the doctor was telling her, I, we don't know your power, how your power works or what its limits are. That's the thing they really work with in DP7 also. No one knows where these powers came from, whether they're growing or they're losing them or whether they'll wear off someday or what. And it's a... Yeah, last issue in DP7 seem, seems to be trending as if their powers are getting stronger. Like, you know, Mammoth is getting stronger. The uh, Stephanie's like glowing and getting stronger. The Maybe the acid's burning through Scuzz's clothes faster. Like, like they yeah, seem yeah. to be amping up. It used to seem consistent with what we've seen so far. So I don't think that we see a change in Cyforce, yeah. but... There's also yeah. that old trope too of like you know like the more stress you're under like the more danger you're in the powers get stronger to match kind of thing so mm. like the more you use them or like the more in trouble you are then the, the true power gets unlocked <laughs> something something okay let's see i give it a grade i would say straight out b yeah i was thinking even b as well yeah it was a, definitely a solid book. Got some new characters. Uh, I mean, not like the most groundbreaking or exciting comic, but uh, yeah. Whereas I think the first couple issues of Sci Force, I liked the concept more than the book. And then now it's kind of mellowed out where I enjoy the book and the characters and all the things that are happening. Yeah. It is. It's one of the more, I don't know, comic booky. Of the new universe comic books yeah and yeah. set up and execution but i'm starting good. to get a little worried that all the scientist characters are dying <laughs> kickers inc steve the scientist died kickers inc again the the, the scientist <laughs> running the coven it was off screen but probably died right yeah this guy you know blood fluke researcher didn't make it Look, I'm sorry, uh, 1986, you can either have paranormals or scientists. It's one or the other. <laughs> For every paranormal that's formed, a scientist must die. Jenny Swenson is alive and well. She's an engineer, but still. Yeah, does that count? <laughs> Although Krotsky and all his scientist friends are dead. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, even like, well, yeah, you he had that that one issue with the laser where he kept offing everybody it's like hey just stand over here to the left <laughs> look usually this goes in a satellite it's not like i have it on a you know, harness and i can just carry it around i need you to move thank you <laughs> boy so so i got a question for you then uh, it was the, if the theme of this book was you know when to use your powers uh, as well as you know sick dogs which you should always help because that apparently always turns out well um, uh, but yeah like that's kind of the question right like so say you know you're in you we're in you're alive in the new universe and you don't have uh, any grounding reason to ever imagine anyone has real superpowers right but you get this power, like say even just the power to heal or whatever, do you tell anybody or do you keep it a secret, right? Do you use it and try and help or do you 
you know, just keep it to yourself for fear of, you know, what could happen to you. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, personally, that's a good debate because I, little cautious so i think um i could imagine sort of working my way into a more direct medical um career and sort of using it when i could to sort of help people hmm. um, like you're alone in the room with the surgery patient and give him a little bzzz. <laughs> yeah exactly uh, this should help you mr roberts um that sounds like a tv series yeah, but I mean, I can. I, I know we've seen things before where, like, uh, there's like uh, you become like a faith healer or something. And, yeah. Uh, so people are used to, in some ways, that um, people are used to people. like the modern, like, scammy version of it. Right? Yeah. Um, but like, you know, like, how different would it be if, like, it was really real? Like, you know, you could conclusively prove that you have this, right? Then are you so famous and in demand that like you can't live in a normal house because everyone and they're sick. Everyone is just going to come line up. Right. Yeah. I mean, with the, um, the text that, um, we were expecting from this, that like a rich man keeps her hostage, you know, that's another way of looking at it. Like if you have real power and like, you know, some billionaire just, kidnaps you and you're on this island off of Hawaii that you know Zuckerberg or Bill Gates uh, has to themselves and you're just sitting there like recharging them um, indefinitely you know that's no way to live no but uh, yeah I wonder like even the like trying to be the most benevolent with it you know like like say you're Superman like you have the abilities that like every waking hour you could be saving somebody's life right like do you feel bad when you go to sleep right you know yeah. you, you feel guilty watching netflix when you could be like listening for a fire somewhere right yeah the um generally i mean you would feel like um these these people's um do deserve some personal time Otherwise, they'd go crazy or be like completely unrelatable. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that that's like a pile of guilt for any like superhero with a lot of power. Yeah. Oh, you saved this plane, but not that one. Makes yeah. Money. Why are you only saving people in Metropolis or New York City? Why aren't you saving people in other cities? Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. A lot of these questions become, and you know religious in overtones at some yeah. point and they don't necessarily make good comics i know they they've tried to tackle that sort of thing in superman uh before it's not, maybe not always done well just like that idea of kind of like you know why don't you take all the bombs away superman and that kind of stuff don't even get me started on the let's call it political naivete of comic book writers <laughs> And imagine a world where nothing goes wrong. I always um, like the Simpsons one, like where Lionel Hutz is imagining a world without lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like happy and holding hands. <laughs> I remember a couple of um, there was a graphic novel, um, Emperor Doom, 
where like I forget the Avengers were off planet or something and come back and Doom has taken over the world. But he's done such a great job with it. They're like, oh, should we uh, fight him? I don't know now, you know? Yeah. And um, it's a actually even like Starbrand uh, last two weeks ago mm-hmm. um, where he's crossing the line of death to fight Gaddafi. There was a um, JLA comic called Superpower. It was maybe also a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. That was about like a young hero who joins the JLA and he, he's very activist. He wants to go fight this Middle Eastern dictator. And they're like, no, we can't get into that. And he's like, you know, screw you all. Goes over there and I think he takes the guy out, but then it all devolves into civil war and everything. You know, like, mm. This is a couple of years before the uh, Iraq invasion. So, you know. I, at least a couple of uh, comic book writers were ahead of the curve. <laughs> the yeah, holy cow, right? <laughs> it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, but yeah, yeah the, the, it's been explored a couple of times. I mean, you could do it well in the new universe, I imagine, since you're asking for a greater level of realism overall. Yeah. But yeah, it's the sort of thing that. I'm still kind of waiting to see how the world reacts to paranormals. There's a lot of sort of legal as well as moral questions that come up when some people actually do have powers, you know? Yeah. And I think Psyforce handles everything in a pretty nice way too, right? I mean, Anastasia had a horrible childhood, basically being like kidnapped by the Russian government, you know? So she's probably the most mature of the group. Um, if a little bit sort of not self-confident, but, you know, she's kind of grappling with these real issues. Whereas, you know, Michael Crawley's kind of a kid, right? Mm-hmm. He's just acts like a young kid. And, you know, other than what's been going on in the books, you know, his life was pretty okay. So he's just trying to get by as a kid, you know, Tyrone again, is kind of like a kid. He just wants to be happy and play basketball. Um, yeah, he, you know. Tyrone's a teenager. Crawley is like, yeah. Probably seems a little, a little younger. younger. Uh, but yeah, it's still both kind of acting like their age. You know, Wayne had a tough upbringing, so he's kind of a jerk and isn't nice to anybody. <laughs> so he has no no qualms with kind of using his powers in kind of rough ways and defending himself and stuff. And, you know, and then we already got the, the Kathy issue where, you know, Valley Girl plus superpowers equals, you know, your nice perfect world has come crashing down and you can't come back to it. So... <laughs> You know, they all are dealing with it differently. And I think in, uh, you know, fairly well-realized ways from, you know, the writer's perspective. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Cyforce, pretty good. Looking forward to the next issue. Yeah, that's all right. Do we have blurbs for next week? We do. Uh, so am I, am I Merc or are you? I can do I them think both. You are Merc and I am DP7. Oh, I mean, kickers. Kickers, yeah. I'm looking forward to kickers. All right. So, so yeah. So next time we'll be covering Mark Hazard Merc number five. Uh, when Mark Hazard's ex-wife's new husband becomes involved in a complicated espionage plot, it's Mark's duty <laughs> to rescue him before he's killed. Or is it? 
<laughs> Maybe let him go. Move in. Opportunity. You can just imagine. You know, the guy like, oh, we've got to do this thing. And he's like, no thanks. <laughs> Death on Delivery. Guest written by Bob Kinniger and guest drawn by Ernie Chan. So, and Kickers Inc. Number five, Kickers Inc. turn private investigators when they are hired by the mysterious <laughs> clinic to capture and return an unusual group of patients. D7, co-written by Tom DeFalco and Mark Gruenwald. I'm excited All right. We got a little bit of Gruenwald helping to write Kickers. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to write down whether that's supposed to be uh, drawn by Paul Ryan, too, which would be cool. I don't think he would. Probably not, but yeah, I, I wouldn't know for sure. It would yeah. be quite a bit to do all, both in one month, but he's a fast guy, I think. That seems like it. So once again, don't forget our website, kickersinc.com, uh, where you'll find all our Kickers Inc. Um, information, fan memorabilia, and... Um, I'm fiction. I, I'm, in my head, I'm definitely wanting to make a Kickers Inc. T-shirt, but I haven't got around to it yet. I have a strong sense that uh, Marvel has let that uh, trademark lapse or something. Hmm. We may be able to get away with it. Um, and don't forget the summer sweepstakes spectacular something <laughs> quiz contest quiz something contest. answer questions win free comics. Don't even have to get them all right. Ready. All right. Well, we'll see you all back next time. Kickers Inc. and Merck uh, back at the spinner rack. All right. See you then. <laughs>